All right. Welcome in, everybody. We've got another episode uh, ready for you today with our guest, Joe Peterson. Um, exciting episode. It's actually different from our norm where we typically peel back a product. In this case, we're actually going to peel back a space, probably a space you've never heard of, or at least you've heard of maybe in passing. Um, but it could have some really interesting product-related opportunities where you know, you're able to uh, find and carve out a role for yourself in this space because I don't know, Joe, it's one of these ones where it seems like product product people are in high demand um, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but that's a little teaser. Um, we'll we'll pull some more out of the conversation. But um, thank you for being here. And um, why don't you tell us a little just real briefly about yourself, uh, where you come from, what you're doing here and um, what you hope to get out of the conversation. I am Joe Peterson. I'm the VP of Cloud and Security for Clarify 360. I'm an engineer by trade. Um, my team and I mostly work with the holdings of two large private equities post M&A. So we do a lot of check out what's in the stack, make recommendations, um, help them, you know, transform a bit because the goal is usually to sell the holding within a certain period of time. So that's what, what I spend my time doing. My area of expertise is cloud, cloud security and cybersecurity. Awesome. So I heard engineer by trade, but then I heard all these consulting uh, terminologies. So, <laughs> so it yeah. seems like you guys do quite a bit of consulting. Um, we do. Well, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. Um, Trent, I know you prepared a few questions for Joe. Would you want to go ahead and start us off? Sure, happy to. Yeah, Joe, thanks for joining us. So uh, like Andrew said, we're going to talk about CNAP. Can you start by just telling us kind of what is CNAP? Is it just a made-up tech term, or does it really answer an unmet need in the market? Yeah, so CNAP stands for Cloud Native Application Protection Platform. And it is it is coined by Gartner, but it is absolutely not a made-up term. And the reason that it's not is, to me, it represents a maturation of a number of the platform, and it represents a number of coming together of siloed tools. So as the clouds matured, so has our security expertise as it relates to the cloud. And when cloud was more nascent, we would have a problem and then a company would come out or several companies would come out with a solution to that particular problem. So we would buy point solutions. And what happened over time is the proliferation of these point solutions. So a shop might have five or six different tools, say, for cloud security alone. And that engineer would have to log into a portal, take a look at what was going on, then log into a different portal that was dealing with a different portion of the footprint and look at what was going on. And the problem was there was no cross-tool visibility. So there was no real correlation that was occurring. So that engineer was trying to sort of sort things out and go, geez, what is this all telling me? And it became a real problem. So CNAP is sort of that evolution, that answer to more of a platform. And it's a number of technologies that come together under that hood of that car. That's fascinating. I can see why that has become a problem. And, and it sounds like, you know, the, the evolution of that has been, it's happened over a number of years, right? Are we talking decades or just past five well, years or more? Let's see. 
Um, you know, cloud's been around early, early stages since around 2007. Um, so if you think about that, that's 15 plus years of cloud. Mm. So cloud's a teenager. <laughs> that explains it's all just, the problems we're having. Right? Exactly. It's driving <laughs> a car, right? <laughs> it's fighting. It's fighting back hard. <laughs> yeah. Those growing pains. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in your in your view, what's like the current size of the CNAP market overall? And then you said it's growing a lot. What's driving that growth? Yeah. So let me, I actually pulled together a couple of stats because I thought this was interesting and I wanted to share it with your audience. So the clouds, the global cloud security market, so holistically, is going to experience substantial growth. Um, right now, we're sitting at 40.7 billion. That's what they expect it to be by the end of this year. And by 2028, it's going to be 62.9 billion. Wow. And that's an annual growth of 9.1% during that period. So substantial growth. Um, and there's, there's, I think, four things that are really driving it. The first is the surge in multi-cloud environments. Nobody has just one cloud anymore. Right. So managing multiple clouds, securing multiple clouds is problematic because the um, the governance for each cloud is a little bit different and it's different by flavor of cloud. Right. So if you have IaaS, it's going to be different than PaaS. It's going to be di right. So and cloud is such a ubiquitous term. Oh, it's cloud. Yeah, let's give it to the cloud guy. He'll make it secure. Yeah, it's like which, which cloud are you talking about? I think I, re I read recently. Yeah, it was like eighty-five percent of enterprises use multiple public clouds and multiple private clouds. That's right. It's true. And if you get the executives in the mix, they're they think everything's cloud, <laughs> right? So yeah. your SaaS is that's cloud, right? So that's so let's give it to the cloud guy to secure. <laughs> um, so then you've got a proliferation of BYOD devices. Right. So post pandemic, everybody's working remote. Everybody needs access. And it's a security problem. There's a security problem on a lot of levels. It's not just a network security problem. If you go up the stack, it's a security problem in a lot of different places. You know, who are we going to give permissions to? To which cloud are we going to give them permissions to? Right. All this, all this stuff going on. And then you've got this rise of dev. SecOps, right? So, which is wonderful because the development team and the security team are talking together. And maybe if you're lucky enough, you have a specialist that is kind of a cross-functional liaison. And what they're trying to do is build in security early so that it's not an afterthought, which is also amazing. But that's a very fast-paced group. And so you have to think about security done much quicker to turn stuff around. Right. So, you know, we've got all these factors going on and that's why we need a platform. Love that. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of the DevOps and DevSecOps and, you know, all the, the DevXOps yeah. things that you can think of. I mean, I, I just yeah. am a big believer in in kind of 
we like to joke that so this company I just joined Metalsoft, we we joke that one of our main functions is we we break down silos, but more accurately, it's like we're building tunnels between silos, right? To help help the groups play nice together and really kind of understand each other and work together better and just be more collaborative. So but yeah, so when we talk about CNAP, I mean what's what's included in a, a typical CNAP solution? Yeah, so I'm glad that you asked. Um so you see me looking down. There's really seven common features. So you've got, remember we talked about sort of everything goes into the pot, right? That's that's the approach, right? They're, they're trying to build kind of a holistic tool that's going to take care of most of your needs. Um, so you've got cloud security posture management. You've got infrastructure, infrastructure as code scanning. You've got cloud workload protection platform or CWPP, because we love our acronyms in tech, don't we? Um, <laughs> um, you've got cloud service network security or CSNS. You've got, and that includes a number of things. We can dig down into it in a minute if you want to. You've got Kubernetes security posture management. Um, and what am I missing? Cloud entitlement management, CIEM. So you've got a number of things baked in that are trying to answer maybe a lot of the questions or problems, point solutions that we had before. That's awesome. So how, can I jump in? So how should, you know, somebody who maybe is trying to break into product management, yeah. are each of the spaces, should we be thinking about each of those seven spaces, like main features that you just mentioned? Are those like, help me, um, help me break this down for people. Sure. Is the, are those considered like, entire spaces on their own where there's an entire company dedicated to that that main feature or is that like a product you know okay go ahead well so it's a good question i would say that what's happening in the space it's a really good question is that the folks and we'll talk about who some of the players are in a minute i'm sure but the folks that are have started building some of these earlier tools right let's just do it that way like say they built a uh, cloud work, workload protection program, right? So say they had that tool. They're morphing that now into a platform. So it's a subset of a, you know, it, it is still a product on its own. So if you just want to go in and buy that, you can. But then if you want kind of this, you know, better mousetrap, you're going to go, you're going to level up and buy this next product. And, and you know, some people say to me, and I want to stop because there's overlapping tools. Some people say to me, why buy a CNAP, you know, or what's the difference between a CNAP and a CASB, right? And the way to think about it, honestly, is if you're a shop that does a lot of development work, you probably need the CNAP. If you're a shop that maybe doesn't do so much development work, but has a lot of users going out to SaaS applications, you need a CASB. That's kind of maybe the way to think about it. Hmm. All right, and just make sure we're not losing people. CASB, define um, that cloud, one. Cloud Access Security Broker. Okay, Cloud Access Security Broker. Hey, yeah. Joe, can you give an example of like CASBs to our audience, please? Um, a CASB would be a tool that you would use for maybe utilizing SaaS applications, a gateway to the SaaS applications. Right. So if you've got a, a bunch of workers that are working from home 
and maybe they need to go into Workday or, or pick the SaaS application that they need to go into. You might have a CASB sitting in front of that so that you can just determine who's got access. It's It goes well beyond um, identity and access management, right? Because the user is identifying themselves, but now they're trying to get into an application so that this is a gateway to that application and what they can get into. And there are quite a few MSSPs who offer that kind of a service. You got folks like Cloudflare and Checkpoint and um, Zscaler, just to name a few. That have CASBs, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Um, and then one other question, kind of back when you were naming off that that list of what was included, um, I expected there to be something in there about API protection. It's not part of that. Huh? It did, huh? That's I guess. That's its own <laughs> okay. little beastie beastie. Um, it may just be, I'm, I'm biased. I've been hearing about that being a, a, a very popular attack vector lately. It is. It's, you know, I mean... Yeah, there, I would say that there's something close. There's a kissing cousin in here. Mm. And that's the infrastructure as code scanning. But mm. if you're really gonna, if you're really gonna look at API security, you need a SASD. Right? SASD? That's a new one for me. I know SAST and DAST. No, well, this? okay. So let's talk about the application security products for a minute. There's IS, there's MASTI, so mobile application security testing, there's SASD. There's DASTY, right? There's all these acronyms in that space alone. Wow. So, yeah. All the different types of application security testing right. products right. or tools. Here. Right. Okay. So if you're looking at API security, there's SASTY players that will actually act as a CMDB. And in case you guys don't know what that is, that's a that's a Change database. management database. There, there you go. go. Nice. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Look at you with your acronyms. You get the star. Um, but that will actually inventory the APIs, right? Which is a big deal because people don't know, to your point, Trent, like people don't, just don't know what their API situation looks like. Okay. No, that's yeah. good to, to be something to read up on, I think. But yeah, yeah, I think right? our, our audience is probably anxious to hear. So who are some of the top players in the CMAP oh, yeah. space? And, and, and I, how are they different from each other? If, if you could share a little about that. Yeah, so so sure. So, um, and I am, if I'm going to apologize in advance, if I miss someone here, and I'm not, these are not in any, listen to me disclaimer, right? These are not in any particular order of my favorites. They're just some well-known players in the marketplace. So you've got CrowdStrike. So start with number one. I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Full disclaimer. Uh, yeah, full disclaimer, right? Yeah. Oh, you've got CrowdStrike, you've got Hermetic, you've got Aqua, Zscaler. One of you gentlemen mentioned Zscaler. They claim that they do a number of things, right? And this is just a newer product for them. Prisma Cloud, which is Palo Alto. Uh, Wiz, which has had phenomenal growth, right? Lacework, um, SciScale, ThreatKey, PingSafe, right? So these are some of the players in the in the market. In, in the space. Um, and, you know, some of them are specific for specific clouds. Um, you know, some of them play better with one cloud than the other cloud, right? That, that could be a thing. Some of them are meant for more hybrid environments where you're going to be pushing code between things. Um, you know, some of them do that a little bit better. Um, some of them are just 
super duper cloud native, right? So they're meant for shops that are doing more CI to CD pipeline work and they're meant to integrate with that. So it just depends on what you specifically need, but I'd say they're all probably good bets. Very interesting. Yeah. So let me let me let me throw something out there and this would be a little bit of a shift. Okay. We've thrown out a lot of terms, a lot of, uh, you know, acronyms, a lot of technology. Um, yeah, you know, I would even say deep tech like terms, right? That maybe a lot of people really aren't familiar with. And okay. even being in this space a little bit, I, I'm still, you know, I'm still like finding my way in some of the things that you've been saying. But I feel like this is a good point to say, well, my hunch is that a lot of product managers who build these types of products and companies probably started out as engineers. Is that a fair assessment where like they started out in this space already and then they just kind of found themselves transitioning in their career to product management? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, because because that, if you think about it, they're, they're thinking like an engineer when they build these products. What's the problem we're trying to solve? Yeah. And it really takes that good base of having been in a situation where you're stuck with five different, you know, dashboards to log into and not being able, you know, to really feel the pain of, wow, this is a problem. And if it's a problem for me, it's probably a problem for a bunch of other folks. So, and when you say folks, really the, the audience is the IT infrastructure teams at all these different companies, like, right. So that's right. I think to kind of bring this out a little bit is like, let's say you're a company, uh, a Fortune 500, right? You build mm -hmm. cars, right? Well, you build cars, but there's still digital components to building those cars. And everybody in your company probably has some sort of business email, right? You have business services, you have all these different things that kind of power the physical thing that you're actually building. And we... You know, we live in a world where, unfortunately, I think, um, and this is probably driving a lot of the growth in the space from 40 to 60 billion, you've got people trying to hack companies and hold them hostage and try to make money that way, right? And I feel like that's a lot of the reason why every company is so very uptight with their security practices, making sure that their data is up, like utmost paramount, the most protected thing that they have, because they can't afford, it's a very, very, very bad look if you get hacked and there's a leak, right? And you expose PII or personal information out into the public. And yeah, no one's going to want to do business with you anymore. Your customers are going to leave you. So that's why this, this whole space is extremely important. I think that the, the, tr the trouble is if you're somebody who's maybe coming out of school or somebody who's had a career kind of building, building other types of products, mobile apps, how could someone start to become more familiar with this space without necessarily going and learning how to code and being an engineer? Um, but, you know, I feel like there's tons of, because if it's anything like the place where I'm working, um, there is a kind of a trend where a lot of the people who have been in this space for a long time are nearing that curve of retirement, which is going to open up the space for, there's going to be a huge need for more product managers, more people to build the stuff. And there's a huge, market opportunity, right? So who's going to step into those shoes? So this is a long-winded version of saying, 
how the heck how the heck can uh, people aspiring product managers get into these types of roles without going through a lifetime of you know being on the developer side of things yeah it's a fair question and i don't come at it from the developer side of the thing i i started as the core routing and switching engineer so i come from the network side of things okay. right so um but um, I'm going to give a little bit of a shout out to CompTIA because I sit on their advisory board and it's a, it's a bunch of folks that come together to help. We all volunteer to help write um, the content for the test. So it's, it's a non-paid role and they do a really good job of getting people ready. So you ask the question of like, what can I do to bone up on a little bit and and sort of learn this stuff, right? Take a security plus exam from CompTIA. Go and buy the book. It's not very expensive. Read the book. There's practice tests that you can take. Get some basic understanding of basic security. And when you do that, you're going to all of a sudden, you're going to feel like some of the pieces are going to fall into place for you. You're going to be able to connect some of the dots. You're going to be able to have a basic conversation. So you're building a product and you need to go out to the field and you need to figure out if what you're building is going to meet a need, right? That's really the question that you're you're answering. Um, and so can how can you have a basic conversation with a potential customer, a friendly, and ask them some of the things that matter to them? If you have that basic security, sir, you're going to be able to kind of navigate and you might have to ask them for lots of clarification points, but you're going to understand some of what they're saying to you better. So that's what I would tell you. It's going to put you in such a good uh, foundational position. So I have a question for Joe. So Joe, like being coming from a networking engineering and now transitioning into the product space, um, what are the challenges that you have seen? And also, like we always say that it is very difficult to do unlearning because you are now in the product role and now you're acting like uh, now you're not no more engineer. But there are, there are times where you will be con in a conflicting mindset where, where you're st still thinking like an engineer, but you have to think like a product person. So what are the challenges that you face in your day-to-day -day life and what will be your advice to people who are in this kind of role who want to come from engineering into the product management? Right. And and I, you know, I'm not in product management. I'm I'm a working engineer that designs, but I have friends that tra have transitioned that have been engineers into product roles. I say the thing that we lack when we come in is we don't understand the marketing at all. We need somebody to help us kind of think through the messaging. Yeah, the other way, right? Mm -hmm. How to dumb down what we're saying sometimes because we make it harder than it needs to be sometimes. That's just the truth of it, right? We don't speak English enough. And so, and it happens to us, right? It happens to us when we're talking to executives. They're just like, what time is it? And don't tell me how to build the clock. Just tell me what time it is, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, but so we kind of do that. We make it harder. We, mm -hmm. Our communication's not easy to understand. We have some things that we could use help with i think um from the folks that are not technical and you guys the folks that aren't as technical are great better communicators for example awesome thank you mm -hmm. 
I love how it always boils down to communication. It does. <laughs> Very important. Yeah, foundational. Exactly. And shout and shout out to my boss Kelly, who always tells me, "Just tell me what time it is, Joe." <laughs> <laughs> I like that analogy. I don't need to know how the clock was no. made or how it no. works. I just need to know the time, yeah, the, the outcome, time. right? Yeah. But yeah. You, you, uh, sorry, Trent. Uh, I was just say she made a really important important point earlier, which was we're just solving problems here, right? And so, yeah, we've kind of strapped on a few different uh, very technical terms and words that are a little bit mm -hmm. difficult, can be a little bit difficult to follow at times. But when it all boils down, it comes to what problem are you solving? And what pain are you solving for me? And and, it, and it's always like the core uh, value propositions, right? Does this save me time, money and stress or protect mm -hmm. me in this case, protect me from uh, risk, right? I feel like mm -hmm. that's a huge value proposition in this space. And I think if your product delivers on those things, if you can find the technical uh, ways that they apply in the different minutia of the, of the world that these uh, developers and IT infrastructure architects all live in, then you can carve out a, a beautiful you know space for yourself where you have a lot of job security for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not getting less digital in the world. In case you haven't noticed it, we're getting much, much more, much more digital and and hackers and thieves are getting much more complicated. And so therefore all these protection services need to need to stay ahead of that curve. So that's kind of where, you know, my mind goes with this whole conversation, but sorry, Trent, I didn't want to cut you off. Why don't you, uh, a question or something you want to uh, wrap up on possibly? I felt like it wouldn't be a full peeling the product episode unless we talked about at least one product management framework. And so what we have oh. been talking about reminded me of, of the classic, you know, the four big risks from Marty Kagan, where he talks about the value risk, right? Will will someone pay for this or mm -hmm. choose to use it if it's free? Um, second, you have fee feasibility. This is what engineers tend to focus on mm -hmm. is can, can we build this? Is it actually technically possible with the time and talent and skills we have and the tech available? And then you have the usability risk, right? Where Will people be able to use this? You know, our target audience, will they be able to figure out how to use this um, without much instruction or handholding? And then last but not least, viability, right? Will this work for our business in such a way that we can grow in a sustainable manner? You know, so I just think, you know, a lot of those risks, it's, it's a key part of a product manager's role is to assess and mitigate and tackle mm -hmm. those risks as early as possible in the process. And Trent, all you're missing is putting that on a two by two chart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then I can join McKinsey if I do that. Yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, like you, like Andrew likes to say, we should probably think about landing this plane. Um, mm -hmm. Any any final words of wisdom for us, Joe? No, uh, no it was great to visit with you guys. Yeah. And thank, thank you, you so for much for asking me to join. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you, everyone. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We hope you found it informative and enjoyable. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us through our website or social media channels. We value your feedback and appreciate your support. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We have some exciting topics coming up in the future that we think you will really enjoy. We will be back soon. Until then, stay tuned. Take care.